0: Welcome to the Our Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So I, I spoke about writing a letter to my mom and my dad and, and posting it. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a time of soaking. We're just play some music, just relax, let the music kind of just minister to your heart. Uh, and then write a letter. So I'm going to invite you to write a letter. You can write a letter to your mum, your dad, whoever, both, or just one. Um, there's no guarantee that that if you send the letter that they're going to throw their arms open wide and say, oh, wonderful. They might not. And can you write it to both? Of them? Yes, yes. You, whoever you feel you want to do it. You don't have to send it. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying you must write this letter, you must post it today. But, but I think it's, it's a heart exercise. This is not so much about your mum and dad, but about your heart. And so just ask father what he wants you to do with the letter. He might say, post it. He might say, phone your mum and dad or, or speak to them. Or he might say, put it in your Bible until later. You know, he might not tell you to post the letter. So I, I don't want to put, kind of like, this is what you must do. If it's a relationship with him, then he, let him guide you in it. <laughs> but I think it's a good exercise for our hearts to, to write the letter. Um, not to criticise our mums and dads, but just to say thank you for being the mum and dad that you were. And perhaps all you can say thank you for is, thank you that I never went hungry or, you know, thank you that you gave me life, thank you that you gave me an education. You might be able to say more than that, but if that's all you can say, then it's something to be grateful for. Um, And just however the Lord leads you to to share where you were not able to be the son that they needed you to be. Your mum And Dad may want to respond, but don't know how to. My mum didn't talk to me about about this for a long, long time because she didn't know how to. Not that she wasn't grateful, not that she didn't forgive me. She just didn't know how to talk about these things. So as we put the soaking music on, I think it's just a good exercise to spend some time in in his his presence. Let him speak to you and lead you and, and show you what what to write. And really, it's not a head exercise. It's what is in your heart to put in this letter of gratitude, of uh, saying sorry. You know, I could have written lots of things to my mum about what she did wrong, but I realised something and I realise it more and more as I I walk in relationship with my mum. My mum knows that she made mistakes. I've realised that now. She knows she made mistakes and she regrets them. She doesn't need me to keep on reminding her of them and telling her what she did wrong. That just makes her guilt worse. Yeah. And I don't want to do that to her. And so it's not about making your mom and dad guilty. It's about just saying, you know, I've not been, my heart hasn't been in the right place towards you. Uh, but I realise you did lots of good things for me and I'm so grateful and I want you to know that I'm grateful that may be what you write. And you might, the Lord might say, go home, put this in an envelope, put it in the post box. Or he might say, put this in your Bible and I'll tell you what to do with it in a year's time or in six months time or whatever. It's, there's no one way of doing this, but this is just a way to help us to express our hearts and see for ourselves what's in there, what, what. and it, it makes space for the Lord to begin to give us that compassion for our parents as we look to say, what can I be grateful for? And he begins to show us what was in their hearts towards us and gives us understanding and compassion. So this is a great heart exercise for us to go through this. It might be difficult, that's okay. Just let him lead you in it. Don't try and force anything out. If it's it's not flowing, then that's okay. He'll lead you in it some other time. It's not a matter of getting it right or getting it wrong. It's just being in the process and allowing Him to lead you in it. So there's no right or wrong way to do this. There's no right or wrong words to use. And there's no right or wrong thing to do with the letter. It really is just allowing Him to lead you and guide you in the whole process. Amen. I want to to just start by reading a a scripture from John's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, quite well-known verses, and John writes, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And, you know, so... there's this concept of our being brought into being children of God because of our belief in Jesus. And because of our understanding in the Western world of adoption, I don't know if it's the same system in Germany where a family would go through a process where they, they find a child they might want to make part of their family. And, and so we have this process and we, we put that understanding into this context of God adopting us and I struggled with that for so long because even if he did adopt me, I was still a stranger, I still didn't belong to him. But as I said earlier, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it speaks of adoption. It speaks of of heuthasia, being placed into a position of inheritance and it's usually done to those who are already sons, who are already children of that father and we see that with the whole cloaking thing of Adam at his baptism Adam in the garden rather after the fall when the the father puts a cloak on him sorry John John, uh, chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 13, and then Jesus at his baptism when he hears the father saying this is my son whom I love the Spirit comes upon him just almost like being cloaked in something from above. Luke 15, when the Son is cloaked, you know, Paul talks about has being clothed or cloaked with Christ. And so, you know, we see it with Elijah when he, he comes across Elisha plowing his parents' field, he throws his cloak around him. It's a calling to inheritance. He's saying to Elisha, you are the chosen one who will inherit my anointing and my mantle. And so what John is saying there in his gospel, he's saying to all who received Jesus, all to all who believed in his name, to all who were cloaked in Christ, he placed into a position of inheritance. And I had never understood that. You know, so when Paul says in Galatians 4, because you are already sons, <laughs> you know, he says that, doesn't he? Because you are sons, not because you've become sons or will be sons, but because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. And so sonship is not about what we do, how we behave, what we know or what we believe. It's about living an inheritance. And I had always thought that there was a time when I was not God's son, but then Jesus came and made it possible that God would make me his son. And I had all those questions that I spoke about. You know, if God is good, why did my dad die? Why was my life so awful? People would quote Psalm 139 to me. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The thoughts of you are more than the grains of sand. And I just thought, I want to hit you. (laughs) I really want to punch your nose because it just pushed all of the the painful emotional bruises I had. But today, in these days, I have found a place of peace and rest. You know, I said already, I've come to a place where I can say, I like being me and it's a state of of peace and rest that that place of slavery or orphanness doesn't allow me to experience because this orphanness this feeling of abandonment and rejection by our true father is really a part of the human condition and we try all kinds of things all kinds of systems and religious behaviours to make ourselves more suitable as sons and daughters, but actually the only way you can deal with the orphanness of a heart is to introduce that orphanness to a father who loves them. And when you know the love of a father parenting you, then you're no longer an orphan. And that's what the cross was all about about reconciling us to our our true father, reintroducing humanity to the one who gave them life and sustains their life. It wasn't God punishing Jesus, it was God destroying the power of sin and death that we could walk through the door again into his embrace. And we can only reconcile with someone that we once knew. If we're strangers, we meet for the first someone, and, and Rebecca says, John, this is Mark, Mark, this is John. She hasn't reconciled us, she's just introduced us for the first time. But if we're friends and we, are, we have fallen out or we've become estranged and, you know, you've moved somewhere and I've moved somewhere and we stop communicating, and Rebecca comes along and, and, and says, hey, John, guess who I met? I met Mark. Here, here's his number. And she says, Mark, I met John and I gave him your number. Here's his number and, and we get back in contact. And what Rebecca's done is, is she's mediated between us and brought us back together again. And so when we talk about Jesus reconciling us, it means he's brought us back together with God whom we lost contact with. That's what it means for him to be a mediator, to bring us back into contact once again with someone whom we lost contact with. And so I want to, I want to show you that, that God isn't a stranger who, who just kind of took pity on us and thought, oh, those poor human beings. I, I'll, I'll, I, I, they're, they're such orphans. I'll just bring them into my family. And, and they can have my name because they don't have anyone else's name. That's not what it is. But I want to show that he is our true father, that we've always been his offspring, his children, And what he did in sending Jesus was to show us the way back home. Back to where we originated from. Back into the relationship that we were created to enjoy. And to do that, I want to to read something from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. So Acts chapter 17, verse 22 through to verse 28. And it's when Paul goes to Athens. And he said, he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So much for being servants of God. (laughs) Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. That's what it means for him to be a father. He gives us all of these things. It originates in him. And from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our beings. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And to understand what Paul is saying to them, we need to understand what the Athenians Thought of themselves, how they viewed them their their, their origins. And the, the Athenian people believed that the original inhabitants of the city who built the city, they actually sprung out of the, the soil that the city was built upon. That the gods somehow brought them straight out of the earth. And so they weren't like other people. They, and this made them proud in their uniqueness, it made them arrogant and They adopted an an attitude of superiority. And so what Paul is doing is he's bringing them a new perspective on their lives. He's saying your life, the origins of your life, they're not what you think they are. Your origins are like the rest of mankind. They come from this one unknown God that you worship. But I know him. He's the creator of all things. And he put a man in the earth from whom you are all descended. And he tears up all of their thinking about about who they think they are and what they think God is. And he reveals to them where they really came from. And he gives them a new perspective of life, of origins, of creation, of God himself. And that's what we're discovering when we talk about this revelation of his love, the revelation of the Father and his love for us. It's a new perspective of life, a new perspective of, of God and ourselves and our origins and creation and everything else. A new perspective of religion, if you like, a new perspective of Christianity and church. And what he does is he comes as a father to bring love to us and to give us a revelation of how things really are, not how they've been presented to us. And as his love is poured into our hearts, the eyes of our hearts become enlightened and we begin to see differently. And that's what's been happening to me over the last decade or so. My whole perspective of life, of church, of Christianity, of me, and especially of God has changed dramatically. And I had a great understanding of the gospel and and God and everything else. I had it all neatly parceled up. I I, I was like these Greeks living under the impression that I was something when I wasn't. I was like I was like the Pharisees. I knew God, I knew what he liked, what he didn't like. Because I had the doctrine and the theology, I'd been to Bible school and I knew God. (laughs) And I was under the impression that there are two camps. There are us and there's them. Us being the good guys, we're saved. Them being the bad guys because they're not saved. You know, one camp is full of God's children. That's us, the good guys. One camp is full of the, of the objects of God's wrath, that's them, the bad guys. But actually, as Paul speaks to these Athenians, he blows that out of the water. He quotes two Greek poets. The first one he, he, he quotes is a, a, a man from Crete called Epimenides, and he lived 600 years before Jesus. And he wrote a poem, and in the poem he wrote these lines. In him we live and move and have our being. He says, all of life proceeds from this, this person. And Paul takes that the words of this pagan, non-Christian, idolatrous poet, and says, these are the words of God. He spoke the truth of God when he wrote these words. All life proceeds from this creator God. The air that you breathe has come from him. Your ability to breathe that air has come from him. And he created this world and he put a man in it. And this man gave life to all of humanity through, uh, God gave life to all of humanity through him. And we're all descended from him. And he determined where on earth you would live. He determined the time in history you would live. And his purpose was that humanity would populate the planet and so he decided that I would be born in the best nation in the world and he's put me in Scotland. <laughs> what are you laughing at? There are only two kinds of people in the world. Did you know that? I'm Scottish. Don't... There are only two kinds of people in the world. Scottish people <laughs> and those who want to be Scottish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, it's not an accident that you're German. It's not an accident that you're English. It's not an accident that I'm Scottish. God purposed it that way. I don't understand all of the ins and outs and all the intricacies of it. But he determined the period of history where we would live and where we would live. There's no mistake about your birth. You know, many of us have perhaps heard that, you know, oh, you were mum and dad's little surprise or little accident. You know, you, you were not a surprise to God. He knew you. But the incredible thing is, Paul quotes another Greek poet, a man called Aratus, who came from Cilicia. And he, was, he lived around 300 years before Jesus. And this blows my mind because this poet, Paul is taking the words of this guy's poem and saying, this, this is the truth of God. And he said, As one of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He's taking pagan words, probably written about one of their pantheon of gods, Zeus or Achilles or somebody, I don't know. But Paul is saying, actually, he was writing under the inspiration of God Almighty. That's incredible, isn't it? The church does not have the monopoly on truth. God owns truth and he gives it and dispenses it to whomever he chooses. We are not the guardians of truth. We've set ourselves up as that, but we're not. You know, I've had Buddhists prophesy to me and they don't know what they're doing. And it's just like, wow, Jesus just spoke to me. (laughs) It's like, how does that happen? From a Buddhist? (laughs) You know, because God's truth is God's truth and he'll do with it and give it to whom he pleases. Yeah. And when Paul says this, we are all his offspring, he's not speaking to Christians. As far as we know, the only Christians present are Paul and his team. And the men in the Areopagus. they're philosophers who stand around all day talking about new ideas, new philosophies, new theories. None of them are believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, we are all his offspring. That's shocking. That was shocking for me to, to realise what Paul was saying because I was taught God had nothing to do with me until I get saved. He couldn't even look at me. God had to hide his face from my sinfulness until I get saved and got cleaned by the blood of Jesus and then God could look at me again. And yet Paul is saying, we're all his offspring. The life that the Buddhist breathes, the life that that the Muslim lives, the mouth, the, the life that the Taoist experiences, all comes from this one God. When, when it talks about being his offspring, it says we are all God's sperma. Which, from which we get the English word sperm. And so he's saying, All of mankind have something of the DNA of God in them. All human beings belong to him. They have become estranged, but they're not strangers to him. don't, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You cannot live in the benefits of sonship unless you're born again. Unless you know Jesus because only Jesus can bring us back to the Father. But it's, the reality is everyone carries something of the, the DNA and likeness of God in them. Because we all come from that flow of life that, that he pours out into mankind. And so, so let's understand redemption. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, When we were children, in other words, before we came into this experience of Christ, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so what Paul is saying is, were, we're his offspring, but we were not living in the experience of sons and daughters. We were not living in the full benefit of our inheritance. In fact, we were living no different from slaves. And we had to be redeemed in order to receive the full rights. And in receiving redemption, it's possible for us to be clothed with Christ and step into our inheritance. The thing about redemption is this, you can only redeem something that you once owned. Now we, we think of redemption as as, as someone pays the money, you know so, I, I bought this from the Apple store a couple of years ago, it's mine, and if I want some money, I can take this to, there are stores in the UK, we call them pawn shops, not porn, yeah. pawn, <laughs> pawn brokers, and I can say to the guy, I need some cash. How much will you give me for my iPhone 6? And he said, dude, we're on the iPhone 7 now. It's not worth much. I'll give you 50, 50 pounds. And I'm like, is that all? Okay, give me 50 pounds. And he, I give him my phone. He gives me 50 pounds and a ticket. And he says, if you come back with that ticket in 30 days and bring me back 70 pounds, you can have your phone back. And that's my redemption ticket. And the 70 pounds is the redemption price. So we think of God buying us back. That he paid a price somewhere. But actually, what he did was he rescued us back. That's what this word redemption means. But Paul uses redemption because we've always belonged to him. And there was a cost, but it wasn't paid to anyone. The cost was the blood of Jesus. It cost God himself. And for in order for him to redeem us and rescue us back to himself, we must have belonged to God even when we were sinners. Before you experienced salvation, you belonged to God. You just didn't know it. You know, when, when we speak of people not following the Lord, what do we call them? What else do we call them? We don't talk about going out to save the unbelievers, we talk about going out to save the lost. lost. lost, See, they're not strangers, they're lost. (laughs) And the gospel is intended to be the the route map back home. You know, when, when the sheep was lost in Luke 15 and the shepherd went off to find it, before he found the sheep, who did the sheep belong to? but it was lost. But yes, you're right, it was lost, but it still belonged to him, even though it wasn't living in the flock with the shepherd. When the woman lost the coin and couldn't find it, who did the coin belong to? It belonged to the woman. When the son was living in a far-off country, not experiencing his father's love or blessing, not experiencing the benefits of sitting at his father's table, whose son was he? He was still his father's son, but he was not experiencing that relationship. He was not living in intimacy or, or even in communication with his father. And it's the same with us, with God. We may not have been living in relationship with Him. We may have been in rebellion. We may have wanted nothing to do with Him. We may have been any kind of lifestyle, but we were still His offspring. That's what Paul, the point Paul is making in Acts 17, regardless of what you think you are or where you think you've been or what you think you're doing, you are his offspring. And he wants you to come home and experience his love. Because if if from every man, sorry, from one man, he made every person, then when Adam and his wife were in the garden, we were in them even before the fall. When Adam and his wife walked around in the the earth, in the garden, we were in them and God's plan was that they would multiply, they would would make love, they would have kids who would eventually give birth to their own kids and, and so on down to you and me. And the earth would become filled with his offspring. Can you imagine if Adam and his wife had never sinned? What would life be like? Everyone you, everyone you ever met would never criticise you. They would only ever show you love and approval and acceptance. They would only see you as incredible and beautiful and wonderful. They would just look at you and go, you're amazing. Because that's what we were designed for. We were designed to come into a world that saw us as amazing wonderful people. I mean, can you imagine? Adam's lying there, no consciousness. He's just been shaped from the dust of the earth. And God gets down and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam's eyes open. I don't know how quickly that happens, a second, half a second, a millisecond, for his his fingers and toes to begin to twitch and blood to begin to pulse through as God breathes life into this lifeless form. But his eyes open and bent over him is the love that fills the universe. God is love. God fills the universe, so the universe is full of love. And all of that love at that very moment is focused intently in the, looking deep into the eyes and the soul of that one man. Unfiltered. You see, that was God's purpose for you and for me, that we would be born into this world and experience from the very first wakening moment, that love that says you are welcome, you are worthy, you are acceptable, you are beautiful, you're amazing. And so we were desi- it was designed that we would have natural birth into the same experience as Adam. And our parents would introduce us to the love of the Father And back in time, he determined the time of your birth, the place of your birth, where you would come into that experience. And you would have grown up without knowing fear or trauma or insecurity or sickness or any of those things. Your mum and dad would have been different people. Still your mum and dad, but but they would have lived their whole lives only ever knowing love. And what they contained within them, they they would have poured out into you. Wow, that's what your life was intended to be like. But many of us don't know that because Adam and his wife did sin. And so what did God do? Well, he designed a second birth by which we would come into that experience of love. But our preaching of the gospel has not understood that. And so we've turned it into something scary and frightening When Father never intended that. He intended us to be birthed into a spiritual experience of love. Covering us, bathing us, soaking us, filling us, surrounding us. And giving us all that our first birth, our natural birth, fails to bring us now. He came to redeem us, to buy us back, to rescue us back into His love. And restore to us all that Adam and his wife lost the intimacy, the freedom, the innocence, the purity, the wonder, the the health, the the well-being, the joy, the acceptance, the blessing, and all of the other things that I probably don't know about that Adam and his wife experienced. And so when we're born again, his purpose is that we come to know him as a father just as we were originally intended to. And as we begin to understand that, As we begin to understand the enormity of that, we get a glimpse of where this whole Christian thing is headed towards. We begin to understand where he wants to take us in our journey. It's, you know, if if your gospel is get saved and escape hell, it's too small. Your gospel is too small. It's insufficient. The gospel is so much bigger than that. It's you have a father who wants to give you what you were birthed for. Love, joy, peace, acceptance, happiness, contentment, satisfaction, comfort, all of this stuff. And I'm convinced his love is the foundation for everything in the Christian life. That's why Rebecca and the team have decided they want this to be part of the first week of the school for you. Because, because we believe this is the foundation of the Christian life. Knowing that there's a Father who loves us and doesn't condemn us. It's about recognizing who we are, who we've always been, but seem to have forgotten in the midst of time. Living in the love of the Father is what it's all about. And that love, which brings us freedom and joy and peace, enables us to go and live the life that he has given to us. Whatever that looks like for you. For me, the life I'm living is traveling, sharing this revelation, drinking wine and whiskey with my friends and having good meals. I don't know what it will look like for you. It might be going and teaching kids. It might be feeding the poor. It might be just having a family and taking care of them. I don't know. But I guarantee you this, it will be so fulfilling and so satisfying. Because we are his offspring. There is something of his life and DNA in us. And what he wants to do is bring us back into the place of realizing that because he wants us to increase in that. And that life and DNA. And he said to, to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 and 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And we're not all going to be prophets to the nations. But I think there's a principle here that applies to all of humanity. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, I was speaking about this the other day. Before Jeremiah was in his mother's womb, he didn't exist. You know, God's not a Mormon. There aren't thousands of pre-existent souls in the universe waiting on, on bodies and planets. That's not what, uh, what he's designed. So how could God know him? Well, I, I'm I've come to the conclusion and I'm convinced that the only way it's possible is if God in his heart, before Time began before the earth was established. In his heart, he conceived each one of us. He conceived in his heart the person that you and I were going to be. Kind of like, you know, when an architect is designing a building, he has a clear picture in his mind what he wants that building to be and look like. Before he puts anything down in paper, he might even know what the furnishings are that he wants to put in it, the kind of tiles he wants, the kind of... Um, toilet fittings and kind of furniture he wants to see in that building that he has conceived of in his own mind and his own heart. I think God conceived us in his own mind and heart the same way. And so he can say, I know Jeremiah, I know Mark. And he knew the talents and personalities that you would have. He knew the makeup of your whole being. It's not just that he had a vague concept, but he, I don't know how God can do that because there's billions of people, and yet in his heart, his heart is so big that he was able to conceive each one of us in that place and know individually what we were going to be, what we were going to look like and sound like. Your your mum and dad didn't know perhaps what you'd be. You know, when my mum was pregnant in 1960, they didn't tell you if, you if it was a boy or a girl. But God knew what I was going to be. He knew every detail of me. My whole life was known to him. It wasn't pre-planned by him, he just knew what my life was going to be. You see, he's my real father. I had a biological dad here on earth, but my real father who imparted life to me was actually God Almighty. And he conceived me in love. He conceived each one of you in love and in beauty. You see, there is nothing ugly in the heart of God. There's nothing black and dark and horrid in the heart of God. There is light, there is beauty, there is love. And you were conceived in that place. You were conceived in love and beauty, and you were birthed out of a place of love and beauty. And you were made lovely and lovable. You know, some of us have this concept that my birth's an accident, uh, my existence is a mistake. My life's just an inconvenience to everyone I ever meet. We think I'm ugly, I'm flawed, I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovely enough, I'm not acceptable enough, I'm ashamed of myself, I separate myself out, I am putting on my fig leaves like Adam did. You know, I was conceived outside of marriage. I spent my whole life thinking I was wrong, it was wrong to be me, that my existence was a bad thing. I was on the outside always looking in. Because I was conceived and born, my dad was ill, my dad died and we were poor, I really thought that I was wrong, that John McDonald shouldn't be existing. And I hated being him. But as I've shared, as he's loving me, as he's revealing to me where I came from, what my real origins are, and I'm opening my heart to that reality and that truth, and love has been poured into my heart, I've come to see that I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with John McDonald, And I've finally come to the place over the last 12 to 18 months, I like being me. I don't want to be anyone else. I don't want your life, because I've got the best life ever that's just perfect for who I am. I don't want to be the best football player in school anymore because I've got a better life than he'll ever have. I don't want to be the guy that all the girls like because I've got the best wife in the world that that guy will never have. And so for me, being John MacDonald is a very good deal for me. Probably not such a good deal for you, for you to be John MacDonald. That's why you're not. <laughs> and when God made me, and when He made you, He made us beautiful. Can you receive that? Do you, what? How? What's your heart reaction if I look you in the eye and say you're beautiful? You were created beautiful. You can't even look me in the eye. <laughs> but you were created beautiful. And you were created beautiful. How does your heart react to that? Because, you in the <laughs> yeah, but look in my eyes, am I telling you lies? You were created beautiful. You were created a beautiful woman. That's who he made you. And so many of us struggle with that truth and that reality. Because we look in the mirror and think, yeah, well... But he conceived you in a place of beauty. He created you and designed you and conceived you as beautiful people before you ever were in your mother's womb. He designed you and he waited for the exact moment in history when it was time to bring you into the world. Your birth was not an accident, not a mistake. You weren't mom and dad's little surprise. You were God's planned child. And it was a momentous event when you were born. All of heaven had waited thousands, thousands, even millions of years for. And when you arrived in this world, God himself celebrated you. He was there in the, in the delivery room when you came forth. He was there. I love what David says in Psalm 22, in verse 9 and 10, in the message version I'm reading. This is what he said, and I think this is true of all of us. So close your eyes as I read this. He said, you were my midwife at my birth, setting me at my mother's breasts. When I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you have been my God. Let me read that again, but I'm going to make it more personal. He was your midwife at your birth, setting you at your mother's breasts. When you left the womb, he cradled you. Since the moment of your birth, he has been your God and your father. He celebrated your arrival. He celebrated your beauty. He welcomed you personally into this world. You were eagerly expected, eagerly awaited by all of heaven. You're not a mistake, you're not an accident. And what he wants to do, if you have that view of yourself, he wants to change your perspective and understand where you really came from and who you really are. When this begins to penetrate your heart, this is so exciting. You know, we were talking at lunchtime, Rebecca and I, about that program, Who Do You Think You Are? And what they do is they find a celebrity and they look back through their family history and trace their ancestors. Well, we've, this is what God is doing He's taking us back through a family tree, right back through our original ancestors, Adam and his wife, back to God himself. Our true origins. You know, I wasn't celebrated by my family in any great way that I'm aware of. And it gave me a view of myself that isn't true. You know, from the womb, I, I, I didn't think I was welcome in the world. I didn't think that I was celebrated or or wanted, it's a lie. No, it's a lie that my parents didn't want me. But the greater truth is that God himself welcomed me. And as I read these scriptures in in Acts and in Jeremiah and in Psalm 22, I look at my birth from a totally different perspective. Encourage you, meditate upon these things. Let the eyes of your heart be more enlightened that you might see your birth, your existence from a totally different perspective. You and I were joyfully wanted and awaited and received. You know, we've got this idea that God is the angry judge. We're criminals in his eyes who only deserve punishment. But it's not true. That was something that was invented in the the end of the 11th century, the beginning of the 12th century. This idea that God is the big judge who, and Satan is the, the accuser and Jesus is our defence lawyer and all of those things, it's just not true, it's not who he is. He doesn't want to punish you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your flaws and your broken parts, he just sees his beloved child who is in his image. He's not fierce and vengeful. He's not full of anger toward the world. God so loved the world he gave his son. He's not been held back by Jesus. That's not who he is. There are no illegitimate children in this world because every single child born in this planet is loved and wanted by their true father. It just so happens that our true father is God Almighty. He is your true Father. He's your real Father. And when we speak about the Father heart of God, we speak about receiving the Father's love. It's not just about getting a, a teaching established. It's not just about getting a doctrine established. And it's not just about healing your emotional pain. But this is about God leaning us to a place of sonship where we come back into the experience of Adam in the garden and the experience of Jesus on the earth walking with Father bringing us back into the experience and realisation and understanding of our true sonship. He's rescuing us back into the knowledge and experience of Him as our Dad. And His desire is that we would have a new perspective of life, that we would understand the life we carry, the life that we live, that all that we are was designed and created and brought to life by our Heavenly Father. We're not a random evolutionary chance occurrence. But it has always been his purpose before time began for you and I to be his sons in Christ and enjoy the benefits of what it means to be sons to our Father in heaven. That's the reality of who you are, of who I am, of who he has made us to be. I, really, I want to encourage you, meditate upon this. You know, ruminate upon it because he will give you revelation that he's not given me about your worth to him, your value to him, the way he views you. He'll speak to you in ways that he doesn't speak to me. About his love for you. And it's amazing and exciting and mind-blowing and scary all at the same time because you sit there thinking I'm making this stuff up but you're not it's him telling you how amazing you are it really is it's him saying you're amazing you're awesome and you sit there going no that's not God (laughs) but it is he delights in you he delights greatly in you Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that what I thought about my origins, what I thought about my birth and my existence, was way off course of the reality. But actually, I was brought into this earth because I was wanted and desired. That you birthed life into... Me. You breathed beauty into me. Into each one of us. Thank you, Father, for such an incredible love that really does, it goes beyond my comprehension, Father. I just it's like godfrey says in his songs father sometimes i just get drunk in your love <laughs> it's so intoxicating to be loved like this so intimately so tenderly so powerfully and my prayer for my brothers and sisters are that they would know that same experience of love intimate and powerful and gentle and kind and tender That they would hear in the in the watches of the night the whispers of love and beauty that you speak to their hearts. Father, that you would give us hearts that are able to embrace that truth about ourselves, about our own beauty, about our own worth, about how amazing we are. Because we're made in your image, and you're absolutely amazing. Thank you, Papa. Thank you that you're not just God, but you're Dad. Thank you that you're my dad. Can you say that, guys? Are you able to say that with your heart? Say, thank you that you're my dad. You're my Papa. Because that brings such joy to his heart, to hear that come from your lips, to hear that come from your heart when you say, Papa, thank you. I love you. Thank you for loving me. Hmm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny Podcast. For further information check out www.idestiny.org.uk